We're in Daniel chapter 11 today. My name is Pastor AJ. I work with the children and the high school group, and now you guys as well. Glad to be here. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there's a table of Bibles up here. I know that it's in front of everyone and you'd have to make that walk, but I'd encourage you to go grab one if you don't have one. Uh, We will be in it today. We'll be going through the book of Daniel chapter 11. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to read through this chapter, give you a broad overview at the beginning, dive into some of the details, and then a broad overview at the end. Hopefully it'll make sense and uh, we'll walk away with a bigger picture of our God this morning. Let me pray. Lord, we, we give you glory and we give you praise for your omniscience, that you know everything, that your omnipotence, that you're all-powerful, for your sovereignty, that you are in control and rule over all things, for your unshakableness, that nothing has shaken you, nothing has changed uh, with you, that you are a God who is steadfast, uh, loving your children from generation to generation. You've continued to watch over your people, and we give you praise for that. Lord, I ask this morning that you would illuminate your word that uh, as we're surrounded by distractions, what would be most clear and most obvious to us would be your truth, uh, your scripture. Uh, Help us to have a bigger picture of you this morning and to walk away ready to praise you and worship you more fully. In Jesus' name, amen. Daniel chapter 11. If you could turn there, I'm going to read it straight through and then we'll dive in. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. And as soon as he has risen, his kingdom shall, not, shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not to his posterity." nor according to the authority with which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides these. Then the king of the south shall be strong, but one of his princes shall be stronger than he, and he shall rule and his authority shall be a great authority. After some years they shall make an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. But she shall not retain the strength of her arm, and he and his arm shall not endure, but she shall be given up and her attendants, he who fathered her, and he who supported her in those times. And from a branch from her roots, one shall arise in his place, and he shall come against the army and enter the fortress of the king of the north, and he shall deal with them and shall prevail. He shall also carry off to Egypt their gods and their metal images and their precious vessels of silver and gold, and for some years he shall refrain from attacking the king of the north. Then the latter shall come into the realm of the king of the south, but shall return to his own land. His son shall wage war and assemble a multitude of great forces, which shall keep coming and overflow and pass through, and again shall carry the war as far as his fortress. Then the king of the south, moved with rage, shall come out and fight against the king of the north, and he shall raise a great multitude, but it shall be given into his hand. And when the multitude is taken away, his heart shall be exalted, and he shall cast down tens of thousands, but he shall not prevail. For the king of the north shall again raise a multitude greater than the first, And after some years he shall come on with a great army and abundant supplies. In those times many shall rise against the king of the south. 
The violent among your own people shall lift themselves up in order to fulfill the vision, but they shall fail. Then the king of the north shall come and throw up siege works and take a well-fortified city. And the forces of the south shall not stand or even his best troops, for there shall be no strength to stand. But he who comes against him shall do as he wills, and none shall stand before him. He shall stand in the glorious land with destruction in his hand. He shall set his face to come with the strength of his whole kingdom, and he shall bring terms of an agreement and perform them. He shall give him the daughter of women to destroy the kingdom, but it shall not stand or be to his advantage. Afterward, he shall turn his face to the coastlands and shall capture many of them, but a commander shall put an end to his insolence. Indeed, he shall turn his insolence back upon him. Then he shall turn his face back toward the fortresses of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and shall not be found. Then shall arise in his place one who shall send an exactor of tribute for the glory of the kingdom. But within a few days he shall be broken, neither in anger nor in battle. Uh, In his place shall arise a contemptible person to whom royal majesty has not been given. He shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Armies shall be utterly swept away before him and broken, even the prince of the covenant. And from that time an alliance is made with him. He shall act deceitfully, and he shall become strong with a small people. Without warning, he shall come into the richest parts of the province, and he shall do neither, do what neither his fathers nor his father's fathers have done, scattering them among plunder, spoil, and goods. He shall devise plans against strongholds, but only for a time. He shall stir up his power and his heart against the kings of the south with a great army, and the king of the south shall wage war with an exceedingly great and mighty army. But he shall not stand, for plots shall be devised against him. Even those who eat his food shall break him. His army shall be swept away, and many shall fall down slain. And as for the two kings, their hearts shall be bent on doing evil. They shall speak lies at the same table, but to no avail. For the end is yet to be at the time appointed. And he shall return to his land with great wealth. But his heart shall be set against the holy covenant, and he shall work his will and return to his own land. The time appointed, he shall return and come into the south. But it shall not be this time as it was before. For ships of Katim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw, and shall turn back and be enraged, and take action against the holy covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the holy covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress, and shall take away the regular burnt offering. And they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the wise among the people shall make many understand Though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help, and many shall join themselves to them with flattery. And some of the wise shall stumble, so they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished. For what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the god of fortresses instead of these, a god whom his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign god. Those who acknowledge him he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush upon him. 
like a whirlwind, like chariots and horsemen, and with many ships. And he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land, and tens of thousands shall fall. But these shall be delivered out of his hand. Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of of the treasures of gold and of silver, and all the precious things of Egypt and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. But news from the east and the north shall alarm him, and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. He shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. This is the word of the Lord. All right. That's a lot, and I know some of you probably zoned out in the middle of it. Let me give you a a better understanding of some of this, hopefully today, and paint a bigger picture of the God we serve because of this. Dale Ralph Davis is a commentator, wrote several commentaries, one on the book of Daniel. He says this about Daniel chapter 11. It was too late. One Sunday evening in May, I began to preach from Daniel 11. I did so even though I had read a commentator's stricture. This chapter might be treated in Bible classes. We do not see how it could be used for a sermon or for sermons. The congregation's worst fears were likely confirmed. Uh, I I have a a method of studying for sermons where I will read through the passage several times and outline it and, and try to figure it out on my own. And apart from knowing the history of this time period... I was so confused, Um, and hopefully some of that study and that history uh, I can bring in today uh, to illuminate some of what we're looking at here in Daniel 11, because it is fascinating to see how these things came to pass, and this was prophesied beforehand, and God knew what he was doing the entire time. I want to give you an understanding, a broad understanding of what is to come walk through the swamp of Daniel 11, and then pull us back a little bit for application. Last week, Pastor Andrew set the scene for this vision with Daniel 10 and 11 verse 1. I joked with him that he stole a verse from my chapter, but it made sense with Daniel 10. Uh, That's where it fits. Daniel meets Michael in Daniel 10, and he gives him preparation for the coming vision. You saw a lot of Daniel's weakness as he appeared before angels and Daniel's battles uh, as he prepared for this coming vision. Daniel is expected to be given peace and trust in the Lord over the coming prophecies. Baldwin says any reader who is not a student of ancient history find the many allusions here baffling and that that was basically where I was at earlier this week but studying some of the history really illuminated this entire section. I have for you in your notes the, uh, the very top there, the overarching theme is that God's supremacy dis- is God's d- supremacy despite bleak outlooks and an uncertain future. To give you a little bit more of the context for Daniel's writing this, Daniel is an old man. He is not young, being thrown into lion's dens uh, as he was old. Uh, I, I mean, being thrown into the furnace or, or being brought into the land originally. Daniel is an old man at this point. Uh, he has uh, he has uh, been brought back uh, uh, under numerous empires, and now some of his people are being brought back to the land of Israel. We see in Ezra 1 this is happening. And so for Daniel and the people of Israel, uh, this 
chapter should bring them hope and trust and assurance in their Lord. Uh, They're understanding better here that God is uh, not going to allow these other kingdoms to rule forever. These other people to oppress them forever. God holds all times in his hands. He guides the hearts of kings. He uh, decrees empires to rise and to fall. He raises up people for judgment and that is on display here throughout Daniel chapter 11. Daniel gives a picture here of future events and lays out how empires will rise and fall. Pay attention to some of these terms as we uh, go more in depth here. Uh, three shall rise, and then a fourth is mentioned a few times. It's this idea that Daniel uh, uses in this genre of literature to say several kings are coming, and then the fourth one is the most important one. Doesn't always mean in that order, but a fourth one is coming means that fourth one's the one that's going to take preeminence here. He also says several times, arise, a kingdom shall arise, it shall be strong, and then it shall not stand. The latter portion of that phraseology meaning that God is sovereign in this world. That despite kingdoms and kings and princes rising and standing and seeming strong, They don't stand forever. God is the one who rules. So here we go. Point number one, verses two through four. This is the reigns of Darius to Alexander. So my goal here is going to be to give you the history that goes behind what is being said here. Here's what he says in two through four. And now I will show you the truth. Behold, Three more kings shall arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. Those three kings, Cambyses II, who is Cyrus's son, he ends up reigning from 529 to 523. Gamada is an imposter who claims to be Cambyses' younger brother. He only reigns from 523 to 522. The third king is Darius I, cousin of Cyrus, who will reign from 522 to 485. And the fourth one is Xerxes I. Xerxes I. So this fourth king rises. Uh, Xerxes reigns from 485 to 465. Uh, this truth that he mentions here, he says, I will, I will show you the truth, uh, is a reference back to chapter 10, verse 21, and this book of truth that the angel holds. Uh, this is the truth that now uh, is being shown to Daniel. This is, this is windy. Three through four, we see uh, the rise of another king. It says, Then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. And as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall not be, shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not to his posterity, nor according to the authority with which he... And now it's in Daniel 8. Okay. <laughs> um and not according to the authority with which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides these. This is not a class in seminary, outdoor preaching. That should be, <laughs> should be a new class. We're going to get through this. Uh, fourth ki- so the fourth king rises as Xerxes the first, and then a great king arises. Back in that time, uh, you're thinking post-exile, between the New Testament uh, and the Old Testament, that king that rises is Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great rises. Uh, he defeats the Persians initially in Granicus in 334, and finally at Gog, 
Gagamela in 331. Uh, he ends up dying in Babylon in 323. It's interesting to note this, this is prophecy written before these things happened. Uh, and it's documented well and agreed by many historians of this, sorry, many biblical scholars that this was written before. Uh, and the way that the prophecy is laid out just exalts God as being over and in control of these things. Alexander rises up and the people of Israel, according to history, were distressed. Uh, some of the things that he was doing in the temple and in the land were really um, driving the people of Israel crazy, trying to desecrate the temple and, and make everyone unclean and make them all Greeks. Yet, it was already prophesied in Daniel that this would happen. And it was even prophesied that his kingdom wouldn't last forever. Uh, he, he says that his kingdom is divided to the four winds of the earth, and that's what happened. Uh, his kingdom is divided into Macedonia, Antipater, and son of Cassander, Thrace, Asia Minor, with Lysimachus, Syria, Babylon, Persia, with Seleucus, and Egypt and Palestine with the, the Ptolemy. Um, he even mentions, oh my goodness, he even mentions that, uh, that's not going to work. He even mentions that, uh, do you have a battery or something? Can you give me like a, I don't know, something to hold my pages down. What you got? Thank you. Thank you. That's helpful. Uh, thanks, Edward. Oh, I do. I guess I do have these. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, here we go. Daniel mentions that this kingdom is not divided to his posterity. That's really helpful. Thank you. Uh, and it's true. Alexander ended up having two sons who would inherit the kingdom, uh, but they were both murdered. And so the kingdom wasn't sent to Alexander's children as it should have been. Uh, yeah, it shall be plucked up and go to others besides these, it says. Alexander ends up being assassinated in 310. Uh, Alexander the Fourth, sorry, assassinated in 310, and he was the only one who inherited anything, but after the assassination, he didn't receive any portion of the kingdom. Uh, verse 5 through 20, uh, in your notes, we have wars between the Ptolemies and the Seleucids. I was going to give you Ptolemies and Seleucids as the blanks, but I understood that that would be difficult to spell. So between the Ptolemies and the Seleucids. Verses 5 through 20. He says, And the king of the south shall be strong, but one of his princes shall be stronger than he, and he shall rule, and his authority shall be a great authority. Uh, after some years they shall make an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. But she shall not retain the strength of her arm, and he and his arm shall not endure, but he shall be given up, and her attendants, he who fathered her, and he who supported her in those times. King of the south here is Ptolemy, uh, his commander is Seleucus, who Ptolemy sponsored in his bid for Babylon. Ptolemy's son is Ptolemy II, who made a peace treaty with Antiochus II and gave his daughter Bernice as a bride. Antiochus divorced his wife Laodice, who instigated action against him, having Bernice and her infant son killed and finally murdering Antiochus. She then became queen, till her, queen regent till her son Seleucus II 
could grow up, which again, documented right in Daniel chapter 11 ahead of time. Verses 7 through 12. From a branch, from her root shall one shall arise in his place. He shall come against the army and enter the fortress and the king of the north and he shall deal with them and he shall prevail. He also shall carry off to Egypt their gods with their metal images uh, and their precious vessels of silver and gold. And for some time, some years he shall refrain from attacking the king of the north. Then the latter shall come into the realm of the king of the south, but shall return to his own land. His son shall wage war and assemble a multitude of great forces, which shall keep coming and overflow and pass through, and again shall carry the war as far as his fortress. Then the king of the south moves with rage, shall come out and fight against the king of the north, and he shall raise a great multitude, but it shall be given into his hand. And when the multitude is taken away, his heart shall be exalted, and he shall cast down tens of thousands but he shall not prevail. And you've probably guessed the theme by now. This came true again. Ptolemy III invades Syria in response between 246 and 241 BC, restoring certain treasures the Persians had won from the Egyptians long ago. Seleucus II wins back some of the territory. Antiochus the Great comes in 223. He suppresses a revolt in the east and then tries to invade Palestine between 219 and 218 where he was repulsed by Ptolemy Ptolemy the 4th at Raphia verses 13 through 19 uh, says this for the king of the north shall again raise a multitude greater than the first and after some years he shall come on with a great army and abundant supplies in those times many shall rise against the king of the south and the violent among your, your own people shall lift themselves up in order to fulfill the vision but they shall fail then the king of the north shall come and throw up siege works and take a well-fortified city. And the forces of the south shall not stand, or even his best troops, for there shall be no strength to stand. But he who comes up against him shall do as he wills. And none shall stand before him, and he shall stand in the glorious land with the destruction in his hand. He shall set his face to come with strength of this whole kingdom, and he shall bring terms of an agreement and perform them. He shall give them the daughter of women to destroy the kingdom, but it shall not stand or to be to his advantage." Afterward, he shall turn his face toward the coastlands and shall capture many of them. But a commander shall put an end to his insolence. Indeed, he shall turn his insolence back upon them. Then he shall turn his face back toward the fortresses of his own land. But he shall stumble and fall and shall not be found. The ideas of the king standing and having strength, but over and over again, not being able to stand forever. So we have Ptolemy the fourth who dies, and his son was just four years old. And so Antiochus the third invades again. Uh, there were pro-Ptolemy and pro-Seleucid Jews at the time. The pro-Seleucid arose in revolt, but were crushed by the Egyptians under their general Scopus. Nevertheless, Antiochus passed his attack and gained Sidon with it in Palestine in 200. And in 197 BC, Antiochus married his daughter Cleopatra the first to Ptolemy the fifth. But she sided with her husband. She became queen at the death of her husband and was pro-Egyptian. Antiochus turned his attention to Ionia and Rhodes. He joined the Aetolian League against Greece and Rome and was finally soundly defeated in Rome in 190 at Magnesia. Son Seleucus IV tried to get money from the temple but was sent back empty-handed. And that's what we have here in those verses. We're going to come 
toward this last section and probably the most um, intriguing section and, and debated section in this whole chapter of Daniel uh, 11. 21 through 45 in your notes, Antiochus IV, the little horn, and the end times. You guys remember the little horn from Daniel 7, speaking blasphemies and uttering these things and, and then not standing. 21 through 35. Then shall arise in the place of one who shall send an exactor of tribute for the glory of the kingdom. But within a few days he shall be broken neither in anger nor in battle. In this place shall arise a contemptible person to whom royal majesty has not been given. He shall come in without a warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Armies shall be utterly swept away before him and broken. Even the prince of the covenant and from that time uh, an alliance is made with him. He shall act deceitfully and he shall become strong with a small people. Without warning, he shall come into the richest parts of the province, and he shall do what neither his fathers nor his father's fathers have done, scattering among them plunder, spoil, and goods. He shall devise plans against these strongholds, but only for a time. And he shall stir up his power and his heart against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall wage war with an exceedingly great and mighty army, but he shall not stand, for plots shall be devised against him. Even those who eat his food shall break him, his army shall be swept away, and many shall fall down slain. And as for the two kings, their hearts shall be bent on doing evil. They shall speak lies at the same table, but to no avail. For the end is yet to be at the time appointed. And he shall return to his land with great wealth, but his heart shall be set against the holy covenant. And he shall work his will to return to his own land. Let me just step back for a second and point out a couple things here. There's this phrase that God uses in this book. Uh, repeatedly at the time appointed or at an appointed time and uh, kingdoms rising and falling. This just shows us that God is in control of what is happening. And he was in control back then and he's in control now. Kingdoms rising at an appointed time or falling at an appointed time, meaning God is rising up people to do his will and to do his work. And it's not going to happen until he appoints that time for it to happen. God is sovereign in control of all things. God is omniscient. Omni meaning all. Science meaning knowledge. Omniscient. He has all knowledge. He is omnipotent. Omni. All. Potent. Powerful. God is all-knowing and all-powerful. Nothing happens outside of God's will or of God's control. The details of this chapter can sometimes be a bit much for us. But understand that God is continually showing to his people that he is worthy to be trusted and worthy to have their faith placed in him. That nothing happens outside of his will, that he is constantly in control, despite things not looking that way. There, uh, the first section of this that I read from 20 through 28 is speaking of Antiochus IV, Antiochus Epiphanes. We've talked about him several times already in Daniel, and here he is again, uh, this great persecutor of the Jews, uh, obviously a prototype of what is to come, uh, a type of who is to come, a type of anti-Christ, a term that the Jews wouldn't have used or known when they received the book of Daniel, but one that we as modern-day Christians can look at the whole canon of Scripture and read back and say, yes, this is a type of the one who is to bring an ultimate end to this world. Uh, let me continue reading because we have some more details in the later section of this chapter. 
At the time appointed, he shall return and come into the south, but it shall not be appointed at this time as it was before, verse 30, for ships of Katim shall come against him and he shall be afraid and withdraw and shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the Holy Covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. Does that phrase sound familiar to you? If you've read Revelation, Matthew, Matthew, uh, Ezekiel, Daniel, this, this comes up a lot in Scripture, the abomination that makes desolate, abomination of desolation. Uh, again, a type of what is to come. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make an, many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help, and many shall join themselves to them with flattery. And some of the wise shall stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. All right, 21 through 35, we have several more details to go over, and we'll look at this last section together. We have son of the Seleucus, the fourth, Demetrius the first, was held hostage at Rome, so his uncle Antiochus the fourth was made prince regent in his stead. Antiochus the fourth is Antiochus Epiphanes, Epiphones, however you want to say it. Antiochus conspired with court officials to be named king. Ptolemy the seventh son of Cleopatra the second attacked Syria, but was eventually captured by Antiochus the fourth. The Egyptians established a new king, the brother of Ptolemy, and Antiochus attacked in order to reestablish Ptolemy, now as his ally. Antiochus then stationed troops in Egypt. Ptolemy reallied with his brother Psych. Physcon to get rid of the Syrians, so Antiochus attacked yet again. Uh, this time the Romans came to the aid of Egypt and told Antiochus to leave. Antiochus deposes Onias III in favor of Jason, and then Jason in favor of Menelaus. Menelaus has Onias killed, but Antiochus repudiates to the angered Jerusalemites. While Antiochus in Egypt, Jason is in Egypt, Jason overthrows. Menelaus, uh, Antiochus captures Jerusalem, kills many citizens, desecrates the temple, and outlaws Judaism. The Maccabean revolt ensues, and many lawless are put to death, causing insincere people to join the cause. This whole time period really frames the New Testament for us. Uh, it frames what is to come. The, the Maccabeans uh, were a, a family in Israel who watched this persecution come and watched what the Greeks were doing to the temple and to the Jews as a whole. See, the Greeks had this idea that if they can take over a land and make the people become Greek, then they don't really have to police it very much. They, the people are Greeks. They're going to be Greek-fearing. They're going to be just like them. Um, however, in the book of Exodus, we see that the people of God are supposed to be distinct different from all other peoples on earth. And that's what the Maccabeans and several Jews believed, and that's what was happening uh, with this revolt, is many horrific things happened, uh, first of all. Uh, people being thrown off the Temple Mount, pigs being sacrificed on the altar, women being hanged by their uncircumcised children. Uh, lots of horrific things during this period. Uh, the Maccabeans raised up and revolted. And so this, this time period prophesied in Daniel and even shown in Daniel as having an eventual end would have been relieving 
uh, for the people who understood it, that this prophecy happened a while ago, and this is all coming to pass, and God ultimately still does have control and is going to win, which may have been something that they doubted at the time that they were uh, undergoing this persecution. All right. All this to say uh, there is uh, a, a very clear type of antichrist here. Somebody who is so opposed to God and so opposed to his people. Uh, this um, the last section of, of 35 to the end uh, really depicts for us uh, this person. And it's interesting to note, uh, oftentimes in Hebrew prophecy, you can have a double fulfillment. And so you have a fulfillment here in Antiochus the fourth, and you're going to have a second fulfillment in the future with the Antichrist. So Antiochus the fourth does fulfill many of these things, but there are some things left that he doesn't fulfill. So as I read this last section, understand some of it is history and some of it is future. Some of it is history and some of it is for the future. The king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god. And he shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished. For what is decreed shall be done. What is decreed shall be done. That's that same phrase that we saw earlier. God appointing things to happen. Now God's saying what is decreed shall be done. What is said to happen is going to come to pass. Uh, these, these are sort of broad prophecies in this uh, short section here, but uh, ultimately th- these are things that Antiochus did, and these are things that the Antichrist will do. Verse 37, He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the god of fortresses instead of these. A god whom his fathers did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign god. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. Antiochus fulfills many of these things, but not quite all of them. This is the rise in verses 35 to 39 of a blasphemous persecutor, somebody who does not respect the God of gods, being Yahweh, the one who we worship, uh, and doesn't even follow the gods of his fathers, but sets himself up above every other God as if he himself were the one who is worthy to be worshipped. That sounds familiar. It is. We covered that in Daniel chapter 7, verse 8, 21, 23 through 25, and Daniel 9, verse 27. This is the little horn that we saw earlier. This king is shown to be atheistic, which is not necessarily uh, abnormal for people in this position, but uh, the, the king just disregards completely the gods of his fathers. That is somewhat abnormal. The, the, uh, the normal thing, if you will, is that he claims himself to be a god above all else. The Greeks did this. The Egyptians did this. Uh, that's a fairly practiced thing for rulers of the time. They did have a huge ego. Uh, But he disregards his family traditions for worship, 37 through 39. Uh, Many of these things will eventually be true of the Antichrist as well. Uh, Verses 40 through 45, we're going to see the fall of this person. 
this person who persecuted the Jews for so long, the person who takes up most of this chapter, uh, both Antiochus and the Antichrist. We're going to see the triumph and fall of them. The time of the end, verse 40, the king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships. And he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land and tens of thousands shall fall. For these shall be delivered out of his hand. Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites, he shall stretch out his hand against the countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and of silver and all the precious things of Egypt and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. Seems like this guy is going to rule forever, but verse 44 comes in. News from the east and the north shall alarm him. He shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. Even this blasphemous persecutor who seemed to have control and rule over uh, all that he saw shall come to an end. The time of the end here is an expression we see in 35 and also uh, here in this section. Uh, this can mean a, a few different things. It can definitely mean at the end of Antiochus IV's life or the Antichrist's life. Uh, it could also mean the end of the world. At the end of the world. Uh, and so we're going to apply this doubly to both of those. Um, the end of all things and the end of this man's life. Okay. Let's, uh, let's apply this now as we saw so many details in this chapter of how God orchestrates and ordains history. We're now also going to see how we should then respond. Now knowing these things that are mostly history, but also truth for us to live out now. In your notes, I left the application section blank. I do have three applications that I would like us to, to walk through, but prayerfully, the Holy Spirit drew out more for you from here as well. So if there's other things in here that you uh, feel prompted to apply, I'd encourage you to write those down in your section as well. Here's three things that come out from this chapter, sort of a broad overview of what has been said here in Daniel 11. Number one, God is trustworthy and he is worthy to be praised. The events prophesied long ago proved to come true and the details give a, given uh, do nothing but exalt the Lord who gives these details. Uh, God didn't need to give Daniel details. In fact, if you compare Daniel to Habakkuk, Habakkuk doesn't really get very many details and Daniel does. Uh, God doesn't need to do that for people and he does it for Daniel and for the people of Israel uh, just proving his trustworthiness, proving his faithfulness to his people. Uh, to the people of Israel, when they were going through these persecutions or these difficult leaders rising up from different places, could have been very discouraged and overwhelmed and uncertain of what God was doing. But because of Daniel 11, they had a place to rest. They saw that God prophesied this long ago and, and he's appointing and decreeing things to happen. And that nothing is happening outside of his control. We're not too unlike the people of Israel in many senses. But in another sense, we have the book of Revelation. So despite things going on in this world that, that might seem uncertain or outside of control or like God isn't acting and, and, 
and interacting with every single thing, we know how the story ends. We know that it's supposed to get worse. We know that things are supposed to happen that aren't glorifying to God. So it comes as no surprise to us as Christians when these things happen. But like the people of Israel, we have a hope in the end. We know God wins. We know how the story ends. We know that one day we will be in his presence, that he will say, you are my people and I am your God. One commentator writes, this section of the book of Daniel is not an unimportant record of historical events, but a rich testimony to the believer's glorious God and trustworthiness of his word. There's a lot of details in here, and if you're a person who does not like history, you've probably zoned out for most of that. But know that through the details, God proves his glory and trustworthiness. These events all come true, and God is the one guiding and directing them. Here's an interesting stat for those of you that like stats. The first 35 verses, there are 135 prophecies that all come true. The first 35 verses of Daniel 11, 135 prophecies that all come true. It's debated that 36 through 45 are speaking of the Antichrist, which means there's more to come true in the future. That's a God who can be trusted. Those were literally fulfilled and can be corroborated by looking at the history of the time, which is a a beautiful thing that God does for us. So number one, God is trustworthy. He is worthy to be praised. Application number two, the Lord is omniscient and omnipotent. You've heard me flesh that out for you a couple times here. He knows all things and he is all-powerful, meaning he doesn't just know all things and can't act on that. He knows all things and acts on that because he has the ability to do as he wills. He is over and above these kings who look like they're taking over the world. Alexander the Great rises up and basically conquers most of the known world, persecutes the Jews, and then all of a sudden he's gone. God is more powerful than any king. He has divine knowledge and power over history. Do you trust him now? This is the weird thing about the human experience is, is we, we know this to be true as Christians. We, we know in our heads that God constantly proves his truth, constantly proves that he's faithful, that he's steadfast, that he loves us. Yet one event in our life can come up and totally derail that. As if God didn't know that that was going to happen. God didn't know that illness would happen. God didn't know there would be a pandemic. God didn't know that you'd lose your job. This is how we act and pretend to live sometimes despite knowing the truth that God, yes, knew all those things, decreed them, appointed them for his glory and for your good. James says um, to count it pure joy when you endure trials of various kinds. Count it all joy. God knows what he's doing. He's always known what he's doing. 135 is a big number for just 35 verses. 135. That's overwhelming. Just because you don't have a why for one event doesn't mean God isn't sovereign. That's not what that means. Habakkuk didn't get a why. Daniel got 135. 
Number three, so number two is the Lord is omniscient and he is omnipotent. Number three, God hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. I think sometimes we can read scripture, we can read the the Old Testament to see how God interacted with his people like Daniel, giving him all this stuff for the future. We can see how Jesus called the disciples and they lived life with him and walked with him. We can forget that the Holy Spirit indwells us, that the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead lives in us, and that God hasn't changed. Just as he was faithful with his people back then, so he is faithful now, and he will be faithful again in the future. God hasn't changed. Your small blip on the history of human existence hasn't affected God's faithfulness. He is still faithful. He is with his people now. We might not have a detailed prophecy for the next 400 years here like Daniel did in Daniel 11, but we do have a detailed prophecy for the end times. We know that God makes all things right. We know that God wins. So in a year that our culture is claiming is devoid of hope, that is despairing over pandemics and lockdowns and masks and social distancing and lacks of hugs and lacks of interactions with people. God's not surprised by any of that. In fact, he decreed it and appointed it. He's using it for his glory. He's using it for your good. He is over and above a pandemic. He is over and above the government. God hasn't changed. He is faithful. He will continue to be faithful. Will you? Will you serve and trust this God who has been steadfast for all of existence? Or will you be tripped up because something happened in one event in your life that you don't have a wife for yet? God wins. God is faithful. I encourage you if you can take time this week. Read Revelation 21 and 22. Read about that in time. Read about how God makes all things right. Read about how God restores creation to himself. Puts things into perspective. That just because things aren't going as we hoped they would, doesn't mean they're not going as God decreed that they would. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you that you're a God who is steadfast, who is faithful, who loves, who forgives, who's patient, who's merciful. Lord, we are a people who are so prone to wander and prone to doubt. But you're a God who has remained steadfast forever. So Lord, help us to live and walk out that truth. Help us to be faithful as you are faithful. Help us to trust your trustworthiness, your sovereignty, your omniscience, your omnipotence, and to know that you are in control and you have not changed. Lord, thank you for this detailed history of events for us now and, and prophecy of future events for Daniel then. You care for your people and you protect them. Lord, everything you do is for your glory and your, our good. Help us to trust that. In Jesus' name, amen.